Welcome. This is your Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, little quick inside Texas hit. We call it our roundtable. During the season, we have a full roster here that's giving you our predictions for the game and a little bit of update on what the team is doing. And in the offseason, we're going to bring you some information about what is happening with the team during workouts, how recruiting is going. And today, we're going to talk about two things in particular. One is the popularity of a specific coach, and two the argument for Texas homerism. But let's get started with our buddy Kyle Flood. Today, we've got our friend Ian Boyd and Justin Wells with us, all from InsideTexas.com. Please check us out there whenever you get a chance. That's where the information really lives. But let's start with Kyle Flood. We've got, well, let's face it. This staff for the last few years has been the proverbial bell of the ball. Sarkeesian has had some folks come after his staff. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Justin, because it, overall, this is a good thing, right? We want this type of exposure, but it's also a little bit scary for the fans, especially with a coach like Flood. It is scary because you see great things growing in Austin, and then you see other schools noticing and wanting to take things away from you. And so as a fan, you, you almost become a child. You don't want to share that new toy. This is my new toy. And now the new toy is starting to really kick butt. So why am I having to share this thing? Um, but you know what? That's a sign of a healthy program. That's a sign of a good head coach and a good administration and, and, and good just, just good job picking and choosing coaches to, to, to fill that mission. And so with Kyle Flood, his name was floated. Uh, you know, when Jeff Halfley was announced, uh, the former head coach at Boston College to become the new defensive coordinator uh, for the Green Bay Packers. And Flood's name was mentioned. You know, he's got East Coast ties, used to be a head coach for Rutgers. Uh, he, you know, he's, he's from that New Jersey area. And so uh, the land of Sadir Mitchell. And so uh, it was interesting to see his name in there. And, and so we did a little bit of back checking, a little bit of homework. And, and what we learned is that one, Sark, like I said, it's, it's healthy when, when guys are trying to, to take your coaches. Uh, from, from the Texas staff and from Sark. But two, Sark has done an amazing job replacing the guys that, that have been taken. And you, you've seen kind of a youth movement. You know, I, Kenny Baker is a prime example. People wanted a guy with what, more experience and more skins on the wall. Or do you want a guy that wants to put more skins on the wall? Do you want a guy that wants, that that's young and that's eager, that's energetic, that kind of a go-getter? You know, nothing against Bo Davis, but he wasn't the biggest fan of recruiting. Kenny Baker is immersed in it. And so with Kyle Flood, you, you have that fear of the guy that built the large human uh, building, you know, with all these gigantic offensive linemen. I mean, it's just something that Ian and I haven't – or Texas fans haven't seen in years, over a decade. And so you'd be a little worried. But but to calm fears, understand Kyle, there's a reason Halfley left B.C., Lack of NIL, lack of recruiting resources, lack of help, administration, all that kind of stuff. Flood has been building a, a, a absolute monster of a unit at, at Texas, and there's really not a lot to – you don't want to leave what, you, what you've started to put together. Not to mention, this man just built a house in Westlake. And for the first time in a long time, his entire family, from, from him and his wife and, and his younger son, all lived together. And for coaches, like, and for coaches' families, that's invaluable. Guys, like I, you, you really got to understand, you know, Flood's been in the business long enough. You're only going to make so much money that at some point you got to find happiness. You know what that happiness is for Kyle Flood, aside from building the, the gigantic uh, uh, array of humans in, in Austin, watching his son play. 
You know, his son's in middle school and he's going to be at Westlake. He's got an older son graduated from Alabama. He's got an older daughter as well, but he wants to watch his young boy play. And I think that's just perspective. I think that's Kyle Flood. Hey, you should be honored when his name pops up for head coaching positions. We've seen Jeff Banks name pop up in, in a handful of positions, you know, for interviews. I remember UTEP. I remember Washington State. We saw Jeff Choate uh, name mentioned a couple of years, you know, for a couple of years, and then he gets the Nevada job. And so, but for Flood to call many Texas fears, fans fears, I, I think Flood is exactly where he wants to be right now. I think he absolutely loves being with Sark. I think he loves building that 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 um, that, that 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 big big room, that big factory of beef. And at the end of the day, he wants to be happy and watch his son play football at Westlake. I think that uh, we're probably going to see this more and more where like a school like Boston College is going to have to go get the Kenny Baker version of a head coach. Because the older guys are going to be like, man, if I go be a head coach somewhere, I got to arm wrestle the administration about NIL. I got to politic with the boosters more than ever to raise funds. I got to go be like, you know, running a super PAC basically to, to get money into the program. Then I got to manage all the egos that creates in my locker room. I got to hire staff. It's terrible. Like, why would you want to, do, why would, if you're an older coach and you know, like flood, like being a pseudo offensive coordinator and an offensive line coach with Sarkeesian and Austin, this is pretty good. I've been a head coach before. It was okay. Now it would be a lot worse. I just think you're just going to have to see more young guys that are, you know, they don't have a nostalgia for the way things used to be. They just have a hunger. Yeah. It'll be great in the era they're actually in. So this will probably be a common thing amongst, and also with the big two conferences, like being right. an offensive coordinator at Texas is now just a very different thing in comparison to being a head coach at a smaller program with the, with the greater divorce in between levels of college football. But there's also, I think, and, and I'm glad you pointed that out, with those two conferences, we're, we're and again, look, the Big 12 is in there. There, there. there are, and I hate to use the word tertiary, but there are some, you know, conferences on the periphery that are still of a certain caliber. But when we're really talking about the Big 10 and the SEC, those numbers of prime jobs just got a lot smaller. You know, we went from a power five really to a power two, and that's really concentrating the level of talent, but also the level of opportunities for these coaches. So they have to think to themselves, look, I've got some resources to put some skins on the wall. Am I going to do that exactly as Ian said at one of these schools where I may not necessarily have the big job? Uh, will that translate to a head job? And then after that, what is that head job going to look like? Is it going to be in a power five? Do I need to go to an FCS school? Where, where are those opportunities? And I think over the next few years, as these two power conferences are starting to establish themselves in the landscape of college football, we're going to get a really good chance to see where college coaching development is going to happen. Will it happen at the, the <clears throat> forgive me, coordinator role or is it going to happen at a smaller school and and it's weird to say but we're now looking at a boston college like a smaller school and that wasn't the case five six years ago so all of that is changing 
So moving forward, let's let's talk a little bit about something that is probably wildly inappropriate given the calendar. But let's talk about next year and where we think Texas is going to end up next year. And we're going to call this the argument for Texas homerism. And this argument is going to come from a very unlikely source. I'd love to hear your Ian Boyd's take on why the University of Texas should be considered the greatest program in the history of mankind. Well, Let's uh, let's take a small step back from there and start with 2024. Um, All right, fine. I think that for me, at least, as recently as a month ago, three weeks ago, whenever before before it became clear that Quinn Ewers was going to come back, you look ahead to 2024, year one in the SEC, and I thought eight and four, nine and three, that's a good year one in that league. It's going to be tougher. Texas is going to be replacing a lot of people that were driving, where there were engines for their success in the Big 12 championship this season. Um, you flash forward. Three out of the four coaches, head coaches in the playoffs are no longer at their former jobs. Texas is the only one that still retained their head coach. Um, Alabama stole one of the other playoff head coaches, but they lost a chunk of their roster and are completely turning over their program. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh leaves Michigan. Ohio State pushes crazy all in, maybe forced Ryan Day to hire Bill O'Brien to be offensive coordinator. Wild things are happening. Then back at Texas, Jade Barron, who I thought was a lock to be drafted, is yeah. back. Alfred Collins, who could definitely have been drafted, decides yeah. to come back. Quinn Ewers obviously comes back. Texas sees that. They reload in the transfer portal. They bring in Silas Bolden, Isaiah Bond, Matthew Golden for Quinn Ewers to throw to. All of a sudden, you're talking about a reload. Um, and you just compare what they're bringing back now, much of it unexpected, compared to where the other top programs are. And it, it's re gets really hard to come up with another program that has as much firepower and momentum heading into this next season as Texas does. Ian, did you see, do you think it's because Texas reloaded, but they reloaded at key positions? Like they had a lot of guys come back, like you'd mentioned, Ewers and, and, and Barron and those guys. And then you've got Kelvin Banks going into his de facto draft year, essentially, because he's, he's going to be a three and done. And so, but from, from the bigger scope, a Trey Moore coming in, uh, a Sevilla coming in on the defensive line, Makuba adding to that the riches of the secondary. I don't think it's just Texas did well in the portal. I think they filled every hole they had, essentially. And outside of Georgia and Ohio State, I think are the other two teams that are in this conversation for that number one spot. But to me, it's it's the fact they filled vital holes. It wasn't necessarily stocking the roster from the bottom up. It was, hey, we they needed a spot at safety, go get one. They needed they need another guy at edge, they go get one. They needed another defensive tackle, go get one. They needed to redo the wide receiver room. Three more come through. Um, to me, that's 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 the most important factor. It's not just filling holes, it's filling needs. And I think you nailed it. It's not a rebuild at all, it's a reload. Yeah, especially when you're talking about like so much of this offense is is throwing the ball. Vertical. And NFL receivers to run down the field. And they were looking at, we knew, we always knew they were going to be portal heavy, but uh, 
because they were so young in that room. But to go from just the level of talent and proven skill that they brought in in the receiver room is maybe a little more than we thought, right? Yes, definitely more speed. Partly because we didn't know Nick Saban was going to retire and and open up, you know, the the treasure that he had been sleeping on in the mountain, right? Like a dragon, just be pillaged. So, do we feel that with one of the so the two factors that I I'm hearing and to put into summation are the idea that one there's been consistency at Texas versus the other top programs in this last off season. We've had major changes in all the four playoff teams with the exception of Texas, but also we've been hearing this and I want to talk about this a little bit because let's just face it. We're, we're kind of shooting for the moon here a little bit talking about next year already and, and predicting where we're going to finish, but let's talk a little bit about after 2025. So, or 2024, right? So after 2024, we have got, a team coming back that will be wildly experienced by that point. You know, I, we've heard our friend Eric say it. This, this is in some ways, even the year before the year. And I, I have to say that that's pretty scary. If you really think about it with the amount of talent that is currently being fielded and specifically, let's talk, Justin, I would like to a little bit. This goes back to Kyle flood. You, you know, we've got an offensive line that, is really starting to become a little bit of a conveyor belt, just moving talent through with experience. And I'd love for you to expand on that idea a little bit. Well, you know, it, you, know you, you nailed it. I think, I think the year before the year 25 could be absolutely huge, but there's going to be one position that takes a pretty big hit. That's the offensive line. Kelvin Banks is gone. Right. Nick Majors is getting drafted and DJ Campbell. Don't be shocked. You know, he's he has rededicated himself to to getting in shape. They watched Christian Jones make some money this week in Mobile. And right. Christian Jones last year at this exact same time rededicated himself to fitness, to, to good work habits, to good eating, similar to Quinn Ewer, similar to some other guys. And so you've got guys that are like, you know what? I, I, I can get up and go. If I have an all-conference year and, and really do my job, I can get out of here. So you could essentially see four guys from the offensive line gone, you know, after 2024. And so you think, okay, who's going to, you know, fill in that spot? Because now that's the line that protects Arch Manning. Right. And that's where I think the conveyor belt line is accurate because there's guys, Trevor Gooseby, you know, we, we talk about him a lot at InsideTexas.com. Please come see us at InsideTexas.com. It's a great time. Let us earn your business. We talk about him a lot for a reason. His athleticism is off the charts. He is pro- developing and progressing, I think, quicker than the, the staff even imagined. And I think he's a viable left tackle when Kelvin Banks leaves. Brandon Baker, you know, he's new on, the, he's new on campus out of modern day, the five-star tackle. I think you'll probably see him start off at right tackle, maybe go to left tackle in a couple of years. It's kind of unsure where he's going to be right now. But, you know, from what I was told, you know, he needs to get stronger, which is every early enrollee freshman that ever comes in. But that his athleticism was more surprising than people anticipated. And so that secession is going to be big because, yeah, you want to go. You, you got to be strong going into the SEC that first year. But you've got a seasoned quarterback back there that's going to make the job a little bit easier. And all of a sudden you've got a running back room that – 
Last year looked like a question mark. This year is a plus. Mm. But that shift to Arch, you don't you don't think they're not going to protect that kid? You're not going to think they're not going to do every single thing in their power for when Arch takes over in 2025 and, and he takes the reins as the Texas starting quarterback. To me, that's going to be the biggest question. And I think they're already trying to solve that this spring. Matter of fact, we know they are. They're looking at a secession plan. And that is a healthy program. That is a that is a that's a team. Why Ian can come out and say they might be number one for 2024. It's not just who they return. It's not just who they reloaded. It's that they have a plan in place to maintain that spot for the next, at least for the ne- for the foreseeable future. And so, I think that's the most important part is is the fact that they're you know three years ago it was can you find five guys right yeah two yeah. years ago it was okay we want seven guys so we can yeah. rely on seven guys and then last season it was eight okay we got to have eight guys that we can rely on going into spring Kyle Flood wants 10. Yeah. He wants a full two deep. And to me, that's the definition of a conveyor belt healthy program. It's, it's not something that we have uh, experienced at the university of Texas in a long, long time. Ian, I'd love to hear your thoughts uh, on not only this, like we've heard how you think that the university of Texas, I think you were quoted as saying uh, being world beaters and never losing a game for the next three years. But how does that look and how does that translate into the first year of arch? What do we see? And again, this is ridiculous that we're talking about this in February of, of this year, but what are you seeing being a major transition into the arch era? Well, I think they may have been planning for, uh, you know, 2025 until Quinn Ewers was coming back. Yeah. Like you don't mind taking a step back and, and, and having a learning curve with a redshirt freshman Arch Manning in 2024. You have the built-in excuse of year one in the SEC. I don't think that that's like, I mean, you want to do the best you can every year for your seniors and for every, all the contract year players and whatnot. But the, the, Equation changed when Quinn Ewers decided to come back. And the equation changed again when Nick Saban retired. And you just have, I mean, we saw this at Oklahoma with Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley, where it got to the point where it was like, they have such stability at the top of that program that every year can be a competitive year. Now for them, that was big 12 championship and aiming higher than that was just beyond their grasp. Um, I think for Texas, when things are running smoothly, they can reach higher on the shelf, so to speak. And so I think where maybe it would have been, you know, where Texas is in this rebuild with Sark is, you know, maybe take a lump here, two steps forward, one step back. Now, because of the instability around college football and how well it's gone back in Austin, you have the expectations are changing very quickly. Absolutely. I think this is, first of all, this is what you're getting on a Saturday, guys. This is a Saturday in the off season. We're talking about a little bit of what our life is going to be like in two years. That, that to me is actually a pretty good sign about where we are with the state of the program and being able to have these really ridiculous hypothetical conversations because there's such a strong foundation. And let's face it, just 
without going into too much detail, because I know that this is, uh, if, if you need more information on recruiting, the state of the program, we've just done another YouTube video on that. And obviously check out InsideTexas.com. It's $1 for your first month. I There's... We have made it virtually impossible for you to say no to that, to be honest. Come check us out. If you if you do not in any way love the community that we have built out there and, and been able to foster with the great people that we have, then, then go somewhere else. Totally fine. You're out of buck. It's not a big deal. But for us, we love to talk about the recruiting and what's going on next. So, Justin, really quickly, without going into too much detail, because I know that this is your forte. You talk about it all the time. But as we're talking about this and I'm going to use this phrase again, this conveyor belt, keeping these rooms going. I mean, the one that is the most obvious, I think, to everyone is that running back room. I mean, Choice has just been absolutely crushing it in terms of keeping that room stocked. Are there any other areas, any other coaches that you might be able to highlight just in terms of their rooms just consecutively get better and better? Well, first, I want to double down on something you said about, you know, we're talking two years out. And, and, I, and I can explain it quickly with, if the college, if the coaches at Texas are talking about it, we're going to write about it. Right. And they're already, it's, if they're having the discussions, guess what? We're having the discussions. And like you said, that's a really cool thing to be able to, to forecast. Um, if I'm looking at rooms that I think are, are building potential monsters, you know, outside of, of what we'd already discussed, you can pick your poison. I right. mean, you can look in the secondary and in 2026 draft, you're looking at, you know, multiple guys going to the league, you know, a, a Malik Muhammad, a Derek Williams, but I'm going to take the linebacker room. All right. Because I think Anthony, you know, losing Jalen Ford, okay, losing to Marvion Overshone, you lost your hyper-athletic hybrid linebacker. Jalen Ford took a major step forward, huge. Could have gone to the draft last year. Right. Well, he had another good senior year. He's out. Anthony Hill comes in now. So we're seeing some of a succession there already, not to mention the fact that you've got some guys from the last cycle that are, that are starting to, to build. And you've got a couple of veterans like a Maurice Blackwell. I think David Benda coming back is going to be bigger in the locker room than it is on the football field. And sure. he's pretty damn good on the football field. And so uh, I'm going to go with the linebacker room. I think Johnny Nansen showed up and, and just smiled. Because he's got an Anthony Hill, who's a future NFL star, okay? And, and a guy that they're going to move to Mike Backer, and now he's going to take on that that role of being the guy to kind of quarterback everyone on that. And, and I don't know if you could find a better guy to do it. And then I'm hearing something about this freshman named Ty Anthony Smith, early enrollee out of Jasper, late flip from Texas A&M. Uh, that kid in workouts only knows one speed, and that's 100%. And, you know, sometimes kids get to college and they already think they've made it. Sometimes they feel like they, they can they, they had five stars or four stars and, and that's credibility. But once you enroll, you have no stars. And Ty Anthony Smith, if you ask him, how many stars did you have in high school? He said, none. I'm in college. I don't have any. And that I think that's the attitude you want in that linebacker room. You, you've got some really good young guys. I love Leona LaFowle. I mean, that guy brings hat on a religious basis. Um, Anthony Hill, Ty Anthony Smith, Maurice Blackwell, David Benda. I'm sure I'm missing uh, Darren Gallette, who I think yep. could play some inside back or some will. I think could play some edge. I mean, he's, you know, he's fully come off that injury now and, and, and he's flashed a little bit, uh, you know, d during last season's practices, you know, scout team and that sort of thing. So 
That was a great question. I'm gonna and I try to do it as quick as possible because you know me, I ramble. I'm, I'm, a talker. I'm a talker. I'm a call it like a call it. Spade, no, you do. Spade. But you got? give me the linebacker room. I, I, All right. I really like where that's going. And I think Johnny Nansen giggled when he looked at the roster, watched a little bit of the film and thought, let's get to business. So same question to you, Ian. Is there is there a particular room that you see? I think, you know, we talked a lot about the the offensive line, and I think we've we've done a good job of outlining the the work that Kyle Flood has done to build up that room. But is there a room outside of that that you're seeing is being maybe even surprisingly good? Well, the secondary, I think, is a lot better now than people. I mean, in the wake of getting completely eviscerated by Penix and Washington, all of a sudden, the secondary looking ahead to next year is starting to look pretty good because you added Makuba, who's very good in coverage as a safety, and he looked like he was going to replace Barron, but then you retain Barron. And then your your next best safety in coverage, the most athletic guy, is Derek Williams, who was a true freshman last year. And then your starting cornerbacks in the playoff game were a freshman in Malik Muhammad and then a sophomore in Terrence Brooks. Mm. You have all this youth that's coming back. Young guys get better. Usually can bank on that. And then they have in Baron and Makuba, two of the better coverage safeties and two of the smarter defenders that, I mean, if you have like one guy like that, you're pretty excited to have two. They, they may have a level of versatility and overall skill and athleticism in the secondary that we haven't seen since, uh, I mean, Justin, help me out. 2017. Uh, I'd say Chris Boyd, Holton Hill, 2017, um, Sean yeah. Elliott. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon Jones, the safety. Yeah. Yep. It, it sounds a lot. It's loaded. And also I want to just one more thing on the court on the, in the secondary, you know, like you said, it's youth Malik Muhammad, Terrence Brooks, those guys, but don't forget the three corners they brought in to this 2024 cycle, two of which enrolled early are at the same level Brooks and Muhammad were in high school, if not more upside. Kobe Black at six foot two, 200 pounds on an island, that's ridiculous. That's the new prototype. Mm. Um, Wardell Mack is already turning heads in early workouts. That is a kid from Deboot that plays like he came up out of the mud. You know, he is a dog that pisses in the neighbor's yard and eats out of Alpo. And then you've got Santana Wilson, who might have the best feet of all of them. The Adrian Wilson's son, former pro, uh, pro bowler uh, with the Arizona Cardinals. His son's going to Santana. He's going to be on campus, Scottsdale kid, in June. And so not just to counter with, uh, with with Ian's point, those corners and those safeties already look good. And then look at the guys coming in. And then you've got an Xavier Filsane, who they flipped from Florida late, the, 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 the five-star out of McKinney. That room, that's why I almost picked the secondary, LC, because that room – that when when Texas when Mac Brown started stacking those guys in the mm-hmm. secondary in the early two thousands, that's when you saw that big turn on that side of the ball. Absolutely. You know, when Aaron Ross couldn't crack the starting lineup and won a <laughs> Thorpe, that's when things really turned back there. And in a spread era, having those kind of guys, you you, you can't you can't quantify that. It's also think- it's also where a school like Texas is. Like the state of Texas probably produces skill talent. That's probably like one of its most uh, unique advantages. 
So like for the University of Texas to be great in a given year is probably going to correspond to having an elite secondary and building a case as DBU because otherwise they're not really maximizing their advantage of being the University of Texas. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, absolutely. I think this what I'm hearing after today, the, the major story of 2024 sounds really to me like it's going to be what Texas kept. Certainly, we had a lot of influx of new talent through both recruiting and the talent or excuse me, the transfer portal. But who we were able to retain and keep out of the draft, for lack of a better term, may be the defining factor in how well Texas does next year. I want to thank everybody for checking in with us today. This is a, a nice way to spend your Saturday morning. It certainly is for us. Please check us out at InsideTexas.com. It is only a dollar for that first month. There's lots of articles and interviews that are going on in there that give you the insight that you're not able to get anywhere else. And if you could, please like and subscribe to this. This allows us the opportunity to keep doing this for you and frankly for us it keeps us away from our families which is something that's really important to us especially ian who has a very very big family thank you all very much and hook them we'll see you later